Hey, thanks for joining us on Living Hope Finley Podcast. Hey, Dave. Welcome back, Blair. Hey, I'm back. Yeah, good. What's up, Dewey? Not a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I uh, hear that you guys got together with Pastor Scott last week, so I appreciated his sermon on discipleship and as we were marching through Matthew, so Matthew 4. Now we're into Matthew 5. Yeah. Where Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount. But uh, hey, real quick, we had just had a long weekend. Uh, did you guys do anything special in the long weekend or something different that you wouldn't normally get to do? Uh, not different. Not different. But it was maybe special. Okay. I'm thankful for what I got to do. Mm-hmm. Got to put metal up underneath <laughs> a cabin. Working away. It just securing my insulation in. You weather, made progress. That's good. Winterizing it. So. Mm-hmm. Our family got to take an international student to the zoo, and it was her first time ever being really to a zoo at all. So it was really fun just seeing her super excited to see all the different animals. And even like the little things like petting a goat was like the coolest <laughs> thing to her. So cool. it was kind of cool just to vicariously live through her excitement. So we had fun as a family at the zoo. Sounds like fun. A little road trip. Yeah. We um, played pickleball. Yesterday morning. Oh, that was fun. Like (laughs) mini, where did you do mini tennis? Uh, There's a middle school here in town, and uh, at their courts, they just put the lines uh, on the tennis courts. So they have pickleball lines on the tennis court. So, you know, mini tennis, mini tennis doesn't sound that cool. (laughs) You're kind of downplaying it. I like to call it full court ping pong. There you go. Yeah, full court ping pong. (laughs) Giant ping pong. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's great. That was fun. So you said your family, I'm just, I just made me think Keenan yesterday, we're working together. Mm-hmm. My son, my oldest son and I, he said, dad, he got real poetic. He's like, dad, we're building men- memories and building a cabin. <laughs> nice. He's deep. He's got the, the dual layer of meaning into the spending time together. I don't know where it came from, but That's it's, awesome. wow. Speaking of deep meaning, <laughs> let's go into the Beatitudes. So we were discussing this morning just, uh, you know, these one-line Beatitudes, and then put 12 of them together, you get a whole unit, but, uh, or not 12 of them, nine of them, 12 verses, but it's pretty deep stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I, even when I preached this past week on, on two of the Beatitudes, I spent more time on one of them than the other, and I really probably could have just gone through one one Beatitude at a time in terms of scheduling out your sermons, but... Uh, it's the plight we all have when we start our sermons. It's like, how am I ever going to fill 35 to 40 minutes? There's no way I have enough information. And then by the end of your study, you're like, I got to start cutting stuff. This is crazy. How do I have more information than I can actually share? So uh, Matthew 5, 1 through 4 was the passage that we covered. We're going to talk about that today, honing in on uh, what it means to be poor in spirit and also what it does it mean to mourn, but also the blessing and the promise that goes along with those. So I can read that real quick. Matthew 5, 1 through 4, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. After he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth, began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. All right, so Jesus is taking uh, his uh, the posture of a teacher. He's teaching his disciples, um, but there's also the crowds there. So just real quick question for you guys is, what um, what relationship to this teaching do the crowds have as we think about this setting? Just kind of a, an observation uh, here. 
So <clears throat> end of, of chapter four, and the great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So there were a lot of people following Jesus, but specifically, you know, these Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount is, we believe, directed towards the, the 12, the disciples. Yeah, very good. And so Jesus starts in, um, blessed are the poor in spirit. So we'll talk about what poor in spirit means in just a moment, but what does it not mean? Because um, if you look at Luke's gospel, he says uh, something along the lines, I think it's Luke 6, uh, midway through the passage, you know, uh, blessed are the poor. So what do you think the in spirit here is helping to qualify uh, regarding Jesus' words? Well, I think in both those cases, blessed are the poor and blessed are the poor in spirit. I don't think any of these are to be taken as Jesus isn't saying it's good to be poor. And I don't think Jesus necessarily is saying it's good to be poor in spirit. But he is saying, blessed, happy are the poor in spirit. And there's a particular reason for that, right? For theirs is the kingdom. So <clears throat> what's different, you know, the qualifier in spirit is talking about not that you're poor financially or externally, but it's almost like there's this poverty internally, like your spirit or like, you know, your, your capacity or, or spiritually what you have, what, what, what you can claim by your own position or your own righteousness or your own achievements. You don't have anything to offer. And I think that the idea of just being poor, like financially poor fits into that from Luke's perspective in the sense that, you know, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. A lot of times our prosperity can often be an excuse or a lack of uh, awareness of our, of our need for God. Yeah. The Bible often warns about the obstacle that, you know, external possessions can make in terms of your relationship to God. Um, and I think that's a metaphor, um, in reverse here about being poor in spirit. So not having resourcefulness within yourself to make yourself right with God, I, I think is what Jesus is getting towards. So, you know, just to clarify, so is yeah. the idea of the obstacle of, let's start with the physical wealth before we talk about spiritual mm -hmm. wealth, I guess. So is the obstacle that if you're wealthy, then you have means to kind of fix the problem instead of looking to God for a solution. Right? Yes, it can be. And then what can happen is the idolatry Mm -hmm. of possessions, um, but also the idolatry of self, uh, self-reliance or yeah. self-cure, uh, self self-sufficiency, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't need external help. I can take care of myself is the false thought. Yeah, I've heard that, you know, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, mm -hmm. you know, God helps those who help themselves, um, you know. Look like out I for number one. Look or, out for number yeah, one. Work hard and yeah. don't ask for help from anybody. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So from a spiritual standpoint, you can also kind of have these, this perspective as well, right? right? Look at what I've done. Look at my righteousness, how I perform, how much I give. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we can kind of, I go to church every Sunday. Yeah. We can start to build our resume, mm -hmm. so to speak, to make ourselves look good before God and what we're saying in in essence is I got this God. I don't need you. I I've, I've obeyed all the commands. What more, what more do I have to do? Mm -hmm. You know, prove God that tell everybody how good I've been. 
there's the my mind is automatically going to the Pharisees and the scribes. Yeah. Um, and I got a text actually today from a young man in our church who's been th- who's been thinking about one of the passages we studied on Sunday, or I used as an example, and it involved the Pharisees. But uh, let's describe the Pharisees from what we know from them in Scripture and how they were um, essentially the opposite of what Jesus is saying here in Luke 5.3. So what do we know about the Pharisees in terms of how they viewed their relationship with God and how it was established? They were very public about their righteousness. Yeah, Matthew 6, right? Yeah. Praying on the street Praying, corners. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the scribes and Pharisees, they were the chief opponent and enemy of Jesus. Their practice seemed to be diametrically opposed to Jesus. Their teaching was diametrically opposed to Jesus, even though they both agreed, right, on the Old Testament, right, on the law. But um, but Jesus was a threat to them, and Jesus also, on many instances, called them out. And the biggest one are like when, you know, the woes, right? Yeah. You see that in Matthew, also in Luke, you know, woe to the, to the Pharisees and the scribes, hypocrites, each time calling them hypocrites, that they show themselves as being righteous, but actually they're not. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, this is a scary thought. You can have an external appearance of righteousness, but like Jesus said in, to the Pharisees, you know, you're like a whitewashed tomb. Mm-hmm. You look very elegant on the outside, but you're full of dead men's bones. So I think in that case, Jesus would then say to the Pharisees, you know, you're, you're proud in spirit. You, mm-hmm. um, and the fact that Luke 18 passage, I thought that was a great biblical definition of what it means to be proud in spirit. Um, Luke 18, 9, they trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and therefore they viewed others with contempt. So I guess if we take the opposite of that, that's what it means to be poor in spirit. Mm-hmm. You're not trusting in yourself, you're trusting in God. Mm-hmm. You're not looking at cont- on others with contempt, you're actually seeing them through eyes of grace and mercy because you understand you're just like other people in need of God's salvation. I think of First Timothy chapter 1 where Paul is talking about himself <clears throat> in really almost negative terms, you know, he calls himself the chief of sinners. And so we talked before how, you know, being in Christ, being somebody of the kingdom is we recognize our bankruptcy. And so Paul does this for us in first Timothy one, where he calls himself the chief of sinners, but he's not doing it in a way that exalts his position as the chief of sinners, but he's doing it it magnifies the gospel so that in me, the chief of sinners, uh, God showed mercy so that those others might might see they can be recipients of mercy. So it's, I think, an example of poor in spirit is we recognize our bankruptcy, but in a way that it doesn't point to us, it points to the to the greatness of the gospel. Yeah, even so, even like looping back around to to Luke Luke eighteen, right? That parable. So Jesus said this to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. At you like the Pharisees. But then that passage, that story is about this Pharisee who stands by himself and prays, thanking God for all the things that he does. Then you have the tax collector who has nothing to claim, beats on his chest. He'd stood far away. He couldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven. And he just said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. 
And Jesus said that this is the man who walked home righteous, mm-hmm. justified, not the other. Yeah. So which one was poor in spirit? The tax collector. And which one and, and which one glorified God in him being righteous? The tax collector. Yeah. Because it magnified God who can have mercy on someone. Right. Like the tax collector who was unworthy. Where the where the Pharisee, if the Pharisee walked away righteous, that would just magnify his performance. Yeah, all the things that he's done. Yeah, and that would set a fairly impossible bar for the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Pharisees, if he got to go to the level of a Pharisee with external righteousness, then what of the rest of us? Well, I think reading these Beatitudes um, really is important, seeing it in the context of chapter 5, because you get to verse 20, the challenge that Jesus says, look, unless you're going to have righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees, right? And and just before that, so I'm hearing this these Beatitudes, it's like, Boom, boom, boom. It's almost like at first you're saying there's blessing here, but I look at my life and it's like, I'm not this blessing. Mm. I'm not pursuing as much righteousness as I should blessing. And then Jesus is like in verse 17, I haven't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, it's like this light turns on. It's like, oh, Jesus, you're doing all this, making me this. So my blessings wrapped up in your performance and so there's the blessing. And so I think that that has been helpful for me to understand this, maybe a little bit of context. Yeah. And then uh, as we noted in our discussion that there's, you know, blessed are, is he or blessed are those and blessing, blessing, blessing. And then there's a promise. Mm-hmm. And then sort of sandwiched in the middle is the characteristic of well, how I phrased it is the um, characteristics of, of kingdom citizens. So again, there's, it's just sort of dripping with grace here. Um, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They will be comforted. And so you see God active here as Father, and He's the one granting the kingdom of heaven. He's the one who draws near in comfort to those who mourn. And so it it's, it's kind of speaks more of God than us yeah. <laughs> in this passage. So. One of the things you pointed out in your sermon, Blair, that I appreciated it, just that Christians are part of a different kingdom than the world. And I think to understand this, it's it's helpful to re- just recognize that, that as Christians, we're part of a different kingdom. So when it says, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's like our citizenship is ultimately there as our primary so that you know, when you get to the end where we're talking about persecution and other things like that, it's like, well, I I can endure those things because ultimately my, my citizenship is, is in heaven. I have a question for you. Hopefully this is a practical question, but how is it easy for us to become proud in spirit? I think it's natural. It's absolutely natural. If you have means, you use means, right? Mm-hmm. So... I drove to work today because I have a car. <laughs> yeah, right? I get it. I yeah. wouldn't just like not. Yeah. So I have the mm-hmm. means. So if you, even if you have means or you think you have means, you usually employ those means, right? To your advantage. And here the message is almost like, you know, actually those who don't have spiritual means, they have nothing that they can claim, right? To have any contribution that they can bring before God. Those are the ones who are actually blessed. Because hmm. guess what? You actually know that you have nothing to give. Yeah. And yet in Christ, you're also the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Wow. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and also back to, you know, the application for the, uh, for your sermon too, Blair, and just, of just like wrestling with and coming to terms with your own spiritual poverty. That's very important because if you don't actually do some kind of reckoning with yourself, I really have nothing to offer God, then you cannot really understand what Jesus is all about and what the gospel is. And I think that gets, you can really be practical by just saying what, by what grounds am I saved? Yeah. I mean, just answer that question for yourself. If you start to point to, well, I did this or I go here. I did my best. Yeah. (laughs) I'm a good family person. I, it just, you're saying that you have some means that you're relying upon but if your answer is, I have nothing, there's nothing I offer. My only righteousness comes from Jesus Christ. He is it. So, yeah. so that's, that's poor in spirit. Follow question just for fun. How would I know if I'm poor in spirit enough? Like what level of, what level of poverty do I need to reach in order to, as Jesus says, you're blessed because you Yours is the kingdom of heaven. You are poor in spirit. Yeah, I don't think it's something you achieve. I think it's something you already are, but you just need to realize how poor in spirit you are. Okay. It's like, okay, God of the universe, what do you possibly have to offer him? (laughs) Right? Hey, God, I think, you know, it's like, and that's the prayer of the Pharisee in Luke 8. God, thank you that I'm not like other people. Oh, really? How are you special, Pharisee? I fast twice a week. Well, what? He, he's <laughs> he's basing it on comparing to someone else. Yeah. So even that, it's like, let's start co- comparing. Well, I'm better than this guy. Yeah, I'm better than that and, Pharisee. And so, so it's something you said we recognize. And I, again, I point to, to verse 17 of chapter five. Mm. Jesus has done it. He's fulfilled it. He is... And we're in Christ. And so we we have this, what I would call positional righteousness. We have the, the, the status of being poor in spirit. Then there's the practical implications where I'm not enough. And I think that's where we would get into a discussion about growing into what we actually already are and becoming the person, the kingdom kind of person that I am. So you're suggesting that one way I can come to know how spiritually poor I really am is to stop comparing myself to other people and really just compare myself to Jesus. Amen. Yeah. And then because then you see your (laughs) your poorness, (laughs) right? Because he's perfect. He fulfilled the law. He's the perfect example. And verse 17, either he fulfilled it for me or I try to do it myself and I fail. And you're crushed. Right. And I think that's the point. You're crushed and it, only leaves you, you said at the end of your sermon, I just interpreted it this way. We can either make a case or a confession, mm. right? I can make a case for my righteousness or I can just confess my utter bankruptcy. And it leaves me with really one, one really only one solution. Yeah. One's an irrational solution. One's a rational solution. <laughs> yeah, I can make myself, I can do more. <laughs> I can climb a little higher up on the ladder just to get knocked down further, or I can... I can look to the gospel. So by virtue of the Holy Spirit working in the sinner's heart, the, he brings the sinner to the point under conviction of sin, like John 16, mm-hmm. to understand 
our, that we have nothing valuable to give to God brings you to the realization that you indeed are spiritually poor or you are poor in spirit. You've just been deceived the whole time thinking you actually have something to give God. Interesting. And, I like it. And so kingdom people, would you guys agree? Kingdom people are, are aware of this reality. Yeah. So for instance, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with um, Ray Comfort is he offers up that evangelism method of walking people through the, the law. So when I was first learning that method many years ago, the uh, youth pastor at my church in Michigan was passing by my office. So I was like, hey, Rob, yeah, what? Would you consider yourself to be a good person? And he started laughing. He's like, no, <laughs> not at all. So n normally most people would say, oh, yeah, I'm a good yeah, person. A person. But he had grappled with the gospel long enough to say, nope, I understand. I am not a good person. And I don't have to pretend to you as if I am. Yeah. So I, to, to answer your question, I think a kingdom person understands their born spirit. I think that's why Jesus says in verse 19, and I, I'm reading this all, trying to read this in context. Yeah. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so. So he's talking about fulfilling the law, right? Will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Like we don't compromise God's standard in it. And no, we, we continually look to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Hey, Dave, do you have that Isaiah 66 passage? Yeah. 66, uh, 1 and 2. 1 and 2? Yeah. yeah. So Isaiah that. 66, 1 and 2 says this. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one whom I will look. He who has a humble and contrite, who he who is humble and contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. All right. So there's the attitude of coming to God, of being poor in spirit, contrite, broken. There's another passage, Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place, and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit, in order to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. Uh, one other passage in Isaiah 55, verse 1 and 2, I thought was interesting. It says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And then I'm actually going to skip down to verse 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So, I love how God is saying, bring bring the money you don't have, yeah. <laughs> and, and I'll give you goods that you need, mm -hmm. and it won't cost you a thing. Yeah. So, I think it's the one who understands they don't have any spiritual money, spiritual currency to do a transaction with God. Mm -hmm. They just say, God save me. Mm -hmm. I have nothing to give you, but I will receive the grace that you offer. So, blessed are the poor in spirit. So, what's it mean to be, to possess the kingdom then? Jesus gave that promise. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What do you guys think? Well, one thing I notice in all of these Beatitudes is that blessed are the fill in the blank, and whatever it is that they either possess or that they're promised to is like this contrast to what they don't have, right? So blessed are the poor in spirit. So spiritually, you don't have anything. 
but for theirs is present tense. Like they already possess the kingdom of heaven, the spiritual rule and reign of heaven, of God. You have it. So that's pretty rich, isn't it? I don't, I'm not sure have. what would surpass yeah. the kingdom. You possess the I, kingdom as of a heaven. possession. I think one thing. What? What? It realized. Right, oh, yes. right, because now we see it from afar, right. so we possess it. There's, there's a taste of it we have through the yeah, Holy Spirit. Pledge, yeah. But I think there's coming a day where the kingdom of heaven will become yeah. realized. So it, it <laughs> yeah, even more so, will live there where Jesus Christ reigns and mm -hmm. rules, and that that will be better. God's will will be done without so hesitation. Mm -hmm. So that so that that reality that you you have now, but in the future is going to be realized. Yeah. That you belong to God and he belongs to you and everything that belongs to God also belongs to you, right? Tell me you're not blessed. Yeah. Like, I mean, so right now, does that make you, you are happy? blessed. You are happy. You are carefree about your own poverty and yeah. you get to be a weird person that goes, Hey, do you consider yourself a good person? You say, no, not at all. <laughs> I'm the chief of sinners. Yeah. And you can say that with a smile. Yeah. 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 So the one who's poor in spirit, you know, again, like you said, is not exalting their yeah. their poverty it be, turns into an act of pride mm -hmm. this false humility but there's no posturing anymore there's no yeah. posing there's no trying to prop yourself up on like spaghetti legs and like well i have to pretend to be um better than i actually am because i care what other people think about me it's like no I, god loves me in spite of my sin um he's given me the kingdom i walk in that confidence and so yeah i'm poor in spirit and i'm okay with that um, because that's who I am anyways. So I'm going to admit it. And I'm going to trust in Jesus. I think Paul gives us a great example of that in Philippians 3. Okay. Where, where he goes through all these, yeah. his pedigree, all the yeah. things he could I've put his, he, but he's like, he's like, but whatever I gain or whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Like, where does... Paul constantly boasts. He boasts, but he boasts in Christ. All right, guys, with the time we have left, let's talk about uh, that next verse where Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, uh, for they shall be comforted. So what do you think, what is Jesus speaking about here, those who mourn? A couple things here, uh, typically the way I've seen it um, interpreted is blessed are those who mourn for their sin, because it kind of lives in the shadow of the previous verse about being poor in spirit. Um, but I'm wondering also if that's, it could also be more broad. Um, blessed are those who mourn just because of, we live in a sinful world. So it's not just our own personal sin. I think it is that, but we live in a, a cursed creation. Um, like Romans 8, you know, the creation itself is groaning, longing to be set free. So uh, blessed are those who mourn. What do you think there that Jesus is speaking about? So, can we do this when we are trying to understand the Beatitudes? So can we look at the promise to help us understand what mourning means? So is there anything in the promise of being comforted, comforted that helps us understand what mourning means? Yeah, I, I think that's a good question. So think of it this way. If you were to clarify or limit your mourning, does that clarify or limit the comfort that comes from God? So, for example, it's like, again, there, Matthew uses, it's called the divine passive, sometimes the passive. Mm -hmm. 
um, is used because you're you're very indirect about you know naming God, right? So, you know, the question that the Jewish context, the Jewish listeners put out, would have automatically filled in the blank. They will be comforted by who? Yeah, by God, by, God. by the Father. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted by God. So if you think about what are you looking forward to in terms of in the future, God comforting you, comforting you from what? To me, that seems really expansive. Yeah. So it's not just my personal sin. It's also when I turn on the news and I see whatever the lightest mass shooting is, I can be comforted because of a broad sense that God is offering comfort for all these different manifestations of sin. I, I go to Revelation 21, right? Where it's like the new heavens and new earth and God will be... Uh, God will dwell with them and they will be his people. And verse four says, and he, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither that, neither there shall be mourning or crying or pain anymore hmm. for, for the former things have passed away. And just think of all that it is in life that we mourn hmm. that actually from all these things, right? God will comfort us and he will wipe away every tear. So I wonder if the mourning is that can just apply for anything. It's like, you know, your, your knees give out, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? You, you get cancer. Um, you're persecuted. Uh, Which is result of the fall. And yeah. sometimes it is directly connected to our own personal sin. Like if I mm-hmm. do something sinful and bear the consequence for that. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm grieved by that. But yeah, it's broader than just all the... There's another passage that goes along with what you said, Dave. Uh, Revelation 7, 16 and 17. They will hunger no longer. Mm. Uh, let me move up to 15, actually. Um, actually, go back to 14. Huh. I said to him, my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to the springs of the water of life and God will wipe away uh, wipe every tear from their eyes. So I think um, this promise in, in Matthew 5, verse 4, is a future promise. They will be comforted, but we can borrow uh, uh, comfort units <laughs> yeah, <that laughs> from future, the future. Future comfort. For yeah. now, mm-hmm. and although we haven't experienced God's full personal comfort that will be, we can experience it in part now because of what is true. Uh, not, not only of Jesus' ministry and the Holy Spirit's ministry, but what will be when all curse is eradicated and we have full fellowship with God. Yeah, how does That's Paul, a very comforting thought. Yeah, how does Paul say it? Like joy mingled with grief? Kind of that mm-hmm. you, 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 are, you are mourning. It doesn't mean that you're happy and chipper all the time, right? <laughs> like, but because of that future, I know that God will wipe away every tear. Yeah. that I will be comforted by God himself. Therefore, through the grief and the mourning, and even if it's for my own sin and my own, my own folly, that there is this sense of joy that's 
So we don't grieve as those without hope. Yeah. Yeah. Is the idea. Right. And I think that that's one takeaway that I really see, see here is, is the idea of hope. Mm. It's like, um, when I look at my bankruptcy, I'm not left without any hope. Yeah. I actually have hope that I can be part of the kingdom or that I am part of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or when I see on the news, all the things going on and it's sad, it's a sad state that we live in, but yet I have the hope of comfort. It reminds me back to our study in Romans, Romans 14, seven through nine, not one of us lives for himself, not one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Mm. And so I think Jesus is, is pronouncing this blessed condition upon his disciples um, as a way, I think, I think it's got a two-edged, it's a two-edged sword. This is true of you. You are my disciples. You don't necessarily realize it yet, but you are my disciples. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, there's his kingdom of heaven. Uh, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is true of you, but also it's calling you up then to live into that. Mm-hmm. Live into that blessing. Live out the kingdom characteristics that are possible in you through the work of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, what's sort of a final word on this, uh, my friends, as we think about people grappling with their identity in Christ and what Jesus is teaching to his disciples then and his disciples now? I would just, if I was going to put it in one line, would say, if you're in Christ, you are blessed. Yeah. Yeah. If you're in Christ, you are blessed. Uh, I would say, you know, our, our knee-jerk reaction is always, if I have something, if I have money, if I have resources, I'm going to, I'm going to use it to get what I want. Um, our, our knee-jerk reaction is always, if I think I have something, I'm going to leverage it. Um, but what this is saying is, look, what you have in the kingdom, the com- future comfort that you have from God, that if you're in Christ, you actually can welcome and pursue and realize that you are more poor in spirit than you ever dare imagine. Like you have nothing to offer God and that actually shouldn't bother you. In fact, that's something that you can have joy in because it's not about your performance. It's about Jesus's performance that you can actually go through deep and deep uh, sorrow and mourning. And actually you're not afraid of sharing in grief and mourning with others. You're not the kind of person that just avoids suffering because you're able to know there is nothing that I can allow myself to be put through that is not overshadowed by the comfort that God's going to give. And so I believe it brings this boldness and this receptivity to real. I can realize I have nothing to offer. So I'm not ashamed to say I'm not a good person, not in a, not in a celebrating sin kind of way, but kind of just like, honestly, I'm the chief of sinners. Uh, and I can really mourn and grieve with people. And I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid of suffering. I can endure it. And, I, and there's joy mingled in with that because my hope is set on the comfort that comes from God. So then current, like you said, Dewey, like there's hope. Don't run away, receive it in faith. Amen. One of my hopes for the series on Matthew was that our own hearts would be impacted as we hear the words directly from Jesus 
Um, there's just as though crowds were amazed at his teachings. I hope as we walk through each of the um, Beatitudes and beyond that your heart will be encouraged by uh, the teaching of the Great Shepherd himself. So, God's blessings on you. Thanks for joining us. We're going to keep going through the Beatitudes uh, in the weeks ahead. So, we'll go through one by one. So, I encourage you to read uh, Matthew chapter 5, 1 through 12. Remember that you are loved.